I speak in the name of God, God who is lover, God who is beloved, and God who is love sharer. Amen. I have to say that I feel a bit cheated. Jesus gets four chapters in John's Gospel for his farewell discourse. My time is measured out in minutes. Although some of you might feel these are very long minutes. Since um, the announcement was made at Easter that I'm called to be the 12th rector of St. Martin of Tours in Providence, Rhode Island, I have been overwhelmed by the great many people who have come to me and have wanted to tell me about what our time together here has meant to them. And I have experienced uh, an overwhelming amount of love and generosity and goodwill. But I have also been aware that there is a sadness. Leaving is the hardest thing that human beings ever have to do. And that's why some of us would prefer just to disappear quietly in the middle of the night. In the Gospel this morning, uh, Jesus is in the process of delivering his long farewell message to his disciples. And it leads on in chapter 15 to Jesus issuing the great commandment. And it begins, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, therefore you must love one another. And for me, the punchline comes several verses later. When Jesus says to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends. The spiritual life, the Christian journey, is a journey into becoming friends with God. And the writer to the first letter of Peter in the epistle this morning gives us this evocative image. Like newborn infants crave for spiritual milk so that you may thrive. There is a British school of psychoanalysis which is known as the Object Relations School. And it departs from the classical Freudian school in a number of ways, but chiefly because, according to Freud, the primary goal of our human 
impulses is to seek gratification. Because gratification is usually frustrated, Freud said all that extra energy goes into the creation of civilization. And where the object relations theorists differ from Freud is they say no. The primary goal of the human impulses is not to seek gratification. It is to seek object relation. And object relations is a psychological way of talking about the primary impulse in human beings is to seek friendship, to seek connection. And when we are open to that connection, we enter the path of friendship. Now, you can read this passage from First Peter in a very Freudian way, and to do so would be to focus on the need of the infant to seek the gratification of the mother's milk. But if we read it in an object relations way, we come to understand that the, the impulse of the infant is not to treat the breast as a kind of milk-dispensing machine. It is to come into relationship with the mother, initially through her breast, but subsequently through her eyes and her smile, the sound of her voice, and the touch of her hands. And the infant begins to understand that it is a person because the infant glimpses a reflection of itself in the gaze of the mother. And this is where the object relations school and the Christian faith have a very similar understanding. Because in the Christian faith, we catch a glimpse of ourselves in the gaze of God which comes to us in the face of Jesus. And for some of us, because of our temperament, God always comes to us within the constraints of our temperaments. For some of us, that sense of being gazed on by God will be a very direct personal experience. But for most of us, and I include myself here. We receive God's gaze, not directly, but through looking and gazing at one another. And in one another's faces and eyes, we capture a glimpse 
of who we are called to be. And the writer to First Peter goes on and says, So come to him, our living stone, which the builders rejected, but is chosen by God as the cornerstone. So come to him. It seems an awfully long time ago now, but I was ordained a deacon in 1985. And the following year, I was ordained a priest. And from the very first moments of my ministry, I began a journey. A journey that I had not been expecting and a journey that took me in directions that I could not have anticipated. It was as if there was a neon sign above my head, blinking on and off, and it said, if you feel estranged, speak to me. I was the only one, it seemed, who couldn't see the sign. I grew up in a society where I could not see any external projection of an aspect of who I felt I was. It's a very difficult thing to grow up in an environment where you can't find any external reference points that connect you to who you feel yourself to be. Now, we talk about having an identity, um, but we don't have an identity. We have identities. Each of us has a variety of identities that are interleaving and interlocking and often in conflict. I was born male, and that's not an insignificant signifier in a patriarchal society. Even better still, I was born a white male, with avenues to education. A white male, an educated white male fully able to take advantage of the opportunities that presented themselves to me and skilled to be able to navigate through the dynamics of an unequal society in such a way that I was able to pursue my own self-interests. So you might think that these aspects of my identity would place me at the top of the totem pole. Apparently, according to appearances, they did. But there was one identity that remained secret within me. And I needed to keep it secret, you see, because I could not see around me in the world 
any reflection of what that could look like. And because I had to keep it secret, this part of my identity became the focus of a great deal of shame and self-rejection. As a gay man, being male, being white, being educated, in the society in which I was raised, were all cancelled out. And I share that with you because I have a deep experience within me of estrangement, which is why I think others who struggle with estrangement come to talk with me. My estrangement sensitizes me to the universal experience that each one of us has of estrangement. And I look into people's eyes and I see the pain and the confusion. And God opens between us the pathway to spiritual friendship. God calls us, as the writer to the first letter of Peter tells us, to become living stones, to be fashioned into a spiritual house in order to become a holy priesthood. And during these last four and a half years, my ministry at Trinity Cathedral has reconfirmed that we often come together as spiritual friends through the shared experience of estrangement and God calls us to become spiritual friends, not in spite of our estrangement, but because of it. And as a priest, a ministerial priest, I understand my function to be similar to that of the mother with the infant. I am a mirror. in which you capture a glimpse of who God is befriending you into becoming. And to successfully mirror requires becoming available. And as I have lived and worked among you, mirroring for you a picture of the love of God captured in a glimpse of your own selves, I have tried to be available. 
Now, availability doesn't mean that I tell you everything about myself. In fact, that's the worst way or the quickest way to cut off availability because it redirects all the attention back to me. To become available is to know, to see, and to allow yourself to be known and to be seen. And through the various aspects of my ministry in this wonderful, wonderful community, my chief concern has been to mirror the love of God. Not because I necessarily am filled with it. Like you, I am often in a state of profound doubt about whether God loves me. But it's from that place of vulnerability, it's from that place of struggle that I become most effectively the mirror God needs me to be. Now the writer of the first letter to Peter, he doesn't go on to say, become ministerial priests that you may be built into a spiritual house. He doesn't talk about ministerial priests at all. He talks about the priesthood of all. We are the priesthood that is being built into the spiritual house. And my role and the role of any priest is simply to be able to reflect this calling that God is making for all of us to live into the fullness of our priesthood, that we may become a spiritual house fit for spiritual friendship. In these four and a half years, all the very different and varied aspects of my long ministry have come together in one place. And for that, I am enormously grateful to God and to you. And if I have meant anything, if I have shown anything, if I have reflected anything, then my charge to you is go and be that and do that as well. Become for one another mirrors of the friendship of God. In the Christian community, we are called to be living stones. Please, let yourselves be built as a spiritual house. For we are no less than a royal priesthood claimed by God to be his own.
Amen.